Welcome to the Motorcycle Vagabond Show. Today we have Patrick. Hey, Patrick, where are you at today? I am in Puebla, Mexico. Oh, very nice. How long have you been down in Mexico? Um, I've been down in Mexico for about, what, three weeks now. Uh, left, uh, left Montreal, Canada, uh, on July 2nd, went to Alaska, and, uh, and now I'm in Mexico. I'm on my way to Argentina. Oh, very nice. So July 2nd, that's uh, about four months ago? Uh, yeah, so July 2nd now to November 2nd, so exactly four months ago, yeah. So I've been on the, on the road for four months. Oh, very nice. So what are you riding? I'm what? What are you riding? What's your motorcycle? My motorcycle is a 2021 uh, BMW 1250GS Adventure, uh, triple black, for people that want to know. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm riding to, to be able to handle the roads that are coming to me in, uh, in Central America and South America. So how did the bike handle when you were up in Alaska? It, it handled bri- brilliantly. Um, I don't have – I've never ridden dirt bikes before. I'm not a dirt bike guy. I'm a sports bike guy. I used to ride a, like an MT-09, a Yamaha MT-09, before I rode the GS. And I bought the GS exclusively for this trip. And uh, I didn't have the uh, the, the, the off-road experience or anything, so I, do, I took a small, uh, a short off-road class. Um just to be able to, to, you know, do rougher roads, the Dalton, the the top of the world highway, just to, to you know, make sure I wouldn't bust my shit uh, with my new, very, very expensive motorcycle. But yeah, it handled uh, everything really well. And I'm at for this trip uh, since I've left, I'm, I'm at about thirty six thousand kilometers. And the really the only issue I've had with the bike is a uh, a leaking front shock that was replaced under warranty, but other than that, I haven't touched anything on that bike other than uh, changing the tires. Oh, nice. How does it handle down in Mexico in the sand and all that? In, in the what? In the sand. Uh, it handled. Uh, it sucks. Uh, as soon as there's uh, mud or sand, it sucks because I put um, 50-50 tires on, so it's not, it, you know, they're not biased really for off-road, and I, I, I actually caught some sand yesterday coming to, to Puebla because I avoid all the toll roads and Google Maps make you, makes you go through really weird places in Mexico. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I caught some sand yesterday, uh, a few butt-buckering moments, and, um, actually I, I had a very good, um, with initiation to, to, to sand when I was in Baja. I uh, I was going down Baja and I met uh, uh, an off-road instructor that was there with a client of his and he was giving him a tour uh, all the way down to, to, to the tip of Baja. And he was like, well, we're, um, we're just going to do a small, you know, 10-mile in, 10-mile out beginner trail in the desert. Uh, you're, you're free to come with us if, if you want. And I, you know, I, I made sure to specify that the only off-road I ever did before that was like, uh, uh, fire roads and, and forest service roads. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I took, I took, I took beginner there all the time. And, uh, spoiler alert, it was not for beginners at all. Uh, you know, loose baby head rocks, deep, deep sand and everything. And it got so bad at one point that, and there was so much sand that the instructor had to take my bike and do some sections for me and walk back to to, to get his bike across. 
So, it, it, so I, I hope that answers your question. That like really sucks in the sound. <laughs> it really <laughs> does. That's all rough. Yeah, and that 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 small excursion into the desert. It, it you know, it was the first time on the trip that I dropped the bike, and I didn't drop it once. I dropped it like maybe ten, twelve times, and it, and you know, and that trail was ten miles in, ten, ten miles out. It took three hours and a half to do it. So it was really, really, really bad. Woo! And th- that's usually how it goes, though. You, you don't drop your bike, you don't drop your bike, and then you drop your bike a whole bunch and right in a row. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, the first time is heartbreaking. It's a, you know, it's a thirty-five thousand dollar Canadian bike. Uh, but after that, you don't care. You just, you're just like, oh shit, I gotta pick it up. Yeah. So when did you start planning for this trip? It's uh, it's kind of a long story. I'll keep it short. Um, um, in 2017, I went to Thailand, and for some reason, my my uh, my flight was delayed. Uh, my my uh, my coming back home flight, and um, I was wondering what I should do. And I did a uh, I rented a motorcycle, and I did a road called the Mae Hong Sun Loop in Thailand. And while I was doing that loop, uh, I stopped at a viewpoint over the the beautiful jungle of Thailand, you know how Thailand is, and um, I realized right then and there that that was the best thing I had ever done in my life. Like, this this entire loop has 4,088 curves in it. I don't remember in how many miles. Um, perfect pavement, no traffic. It was literally heaven. And right when I did that, I realized that was the best thing I ever done in my life, and I wanted to find these other roads like this in the world. And then I started uh, um, looking at how 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 possible or how feasible it would be to go around the world on motorcycle. I I, I had you know I didn't know about you and McGregor. I didn't you I didn't know about you know the, the YouTubers that are doing it right now. I didn't know about any of these people. So I didn't even know if it was if it was possible. And then I discovered not only is it possible, but it's not even that hard uh, with the internet with everything. Um, so I've been thinking about this trip for five years now, um, but I, I, I just started seriously planning it during the pandemic. Uh, like everyone, I didn't have anything else to do, so I might as well, you know, plan a trip like this. And, uh, yeah, so, so about, about, you know, four years of thinking about it and then a year of uh, seriously planning it. Oh, very nice. Who did you talk to when you were planning for it? Who did that talk to and what? Did you have any friends you talked to while you were planning for this? No, not at all. Uh, you know, since I wasn't part of any kind of of, of community or, or I, I didn't know if there was any community, all I did was uh, read the blogs of people who were doing it or watch the videos of people who were doing it. So um, I, I didn't have any uh, reference other than, you know, Horizons Unlimited, obviously, and, uh, and boards like this, ADV Writer, um, reading write reports of, of, of people who were doing it before me. Uh, but other than that, I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't talked to anyone. The first person that I really had a conversation with that went around the world, uh, was a guy in Seattle, like a month and a half into the trip. Like, I, the, the trip had already started and I hadn't talked with anyone that, that, you know, did that kind of stuff, so. It's, uh, it, well, I, I was, I was, you know, I, obviously I wasn't going in blind. There's tons of information on the internet, but, uh, 
uh, it was kind of eye-opening to have a, that kind of conversation with someone who actually did it. And it was a bunch of biker. Oh, very nice. Did it give you any route suggestions, or did you change anything after you talked to him? I, I changed a lot. Um, not in terms of my itinerary or my, my routes. Uh, in terms of the gear I brought with me, because, you know, it's a, it's a 1250 GS. It can handle a lot of stuff, so I put a lot of stuff on it. And, uh, to be honest, too much stuff. And, uh, initially I had brought, uh, all my camping gear with me, um, which I had brought for this trip. And unfortunately during the trip, I, I, I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to camping. So if, if, you know, it's not ideal weather, if it's too hot, if it's raining, if it's too cold, I'd rather not camp. So my entire trip from Montreal to Alaska and back to like San Diego, I camped maybe three, four times. And the guy suggested, uh, very bluntly, and I thank him for that, that if I didn't camp in the Canada and the U.S., there's no way I was going to camp, uh, from Mexico southwards, right? In, uh, in Central America, it was going to be too hot and humid all the time, and I was going to be there right at the end of rainy season, um, and South America either. So I was like, you're absolutely right. So I got rid, while I was in San Diego at a friend's house, I got rid of, what, 50 pounds of stuff that I sent back home. And uh, so now my motorcycle is 50 pounds lighter because of that guy who said, yeah, you're not going to camp in Mexico because he had been there multiple times. He he he. He does that trip multiple times a year, so uh, so yeah, that's uh, he he gave me very very solid advice also about uh, driving in Mexico, which is more crazy, and it's, I know it's only going to get crazier as I go down south. Uh, but yeah, every everything he gave me was very very solid advice. So you've been there three weeks. Has it panned out as you haven't felt like camping the whole time? Oh, the, the, the point, the, the thing is, there's no point in camping in Mexico. Like, sure, if you, if you like camping and you're not a wuss like me, there's, there's tons of places where you could camp that are, uh, not only worth it, but, you know, very, very, you know, beautiful and interesting. You can camp on the beach in Baja if you want. You can, you know, camp in the jungle as soon as you cross into the mainland. So there's tons of places to camp, but you can also stay in a hotel for 10 to 15 bucks. Um, which, you know, if you're like me and you like to, you know, take a shower and have a bed at, at the end of a writing day, well, it's a blessing because everywhere you go, you can find a cheap motel, hotel that, you know, it, it, the standards here are not the same, but again, they're not, they're not that bad at all. And, uh, so he was right. There's, 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 there are camping opportunities, but for me, um, there, there's, there, it's not worth it at all. That's fair. So how did you save yeah. up for this trip? How did I save up? Uh, by I I kept working during the pandemic, and right before the pandemic hit, I you know got a new job at this this the fancy job at a fancy bank and everything, and you know like everyone I was stuck inside with uh, nowhere to spend that money, and. Long, very, very, very long story uh, made very short. Uh, I had sold a house uh, that I owned a few years uh, before that, so I already had money uh, put aside for, for whatever was going to come up. And um, I I established, for for me at least, for my, the kind of, of trip I wanted, that I needed uh, 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 
$100,000 Canadian dollars for the entire thing. So that means buying the bike, uh, being on the road, uh, gas maintenance uh, accommodations. And uh, I hit that number about, what, three three days with my before I left, like with my last pay from my job uh, after quitting. Um, so so I, I was able to pay the bike off and uh, have the rest of the budget for the for the trip. So I saved up for about two or three years seriously. I I, I was you know uh, I was saving up before that, but not seriously. But for for, for this trip, about two or three years, yeah. Well, that's not too bad. It sounds like you set out with quite the chunk. You should be able to go for quite a while. How long do you intend to make that try to last? Um, I was intending on making it last for uh, a year and a half. Um, you know, I, I accounted for, uh, you know, unplanned stuff, uh, breakages that wouldn't be covered by warranty on the bike and stuff like that. Um, and my uh, my original plan was to actually go around the world and I realized that that, uh, that probably wasn't going to be enough money and with the, the seasons and everything, the timing was wrong. So what I, what I'm going to do now, at least what the plan is now, and it changes every day, is to go to, uh, Argentina, then fly over to Europe, do, uh, crisscross across Europe, um, and then maybe stop just before the Middle East and then turn around and come back home. Uh, because the way I designed this trip was, to do it with as little paperwork as possible. And since I'm Canadian, every single country I'm going to visit on this trip, I don't need a visa for. And um, with the situation in Russia and everything, I can't cross Russia. I can't cross China. There's a bunch of, you know, stuff, paperwork to be done for crossing the Middle East. And uh, I didn't want that. I wanted it to be simple. I don't need a car for the bike. I don't need a visa for myself. Um so yeah, so the, so the plan changed from uh, an actual around the world trip to uh, let's say an Americas and parts of Europe and Scandinavia trip. Let's call it like that. Does Africa have a bunch of paperwork? Africa does, and uh, actually, it's the worst uh, as far as paperwork goes because the paperwork is very different for uh, every single country you go through. Uh, you have to prepare in advance. You have to ask for visas in advance. You have to, you know, so, so, so it's, it's already, it's already pretty complicated to, cause I, I, I don't really like to plan that far in advance. So what, what I do is when I get to a place, I look at what there is to see or do around it. And then I plan the next one or two days, I see what there is to do and, and, uh, and see there. So planning months in advance for visas and having a timeline, like actually having to be, oh, I have to be in uh, Namibia on 15th of January because my visa starts and I need to get out of the country like 30 days later. I don't know how it works. I haven't done the, 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 the precise research, but that's what I wanted to avoid. So that having a, um, a timeline to get somewhere is something I really want to avoid for the, the entirety of this trip. Uh, the only quote-unquote timeline that I have to follow is the seasons. So that's good. I have to get to uh, to Argentina with, when it's summer there. Yeah, I, I hear it's a little rough down there if you get there in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm from I'm from Quebec, so riding in the winter doesn't scare me. I have my my heated stuff with me, so that doesn't scare me. But I'd rather I'd rather enjoy the ride than trying to get to where I'm going quicker because I'm too cold. 
Yeah. It's never really fun when you can't feel your toes and fingers anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what's been your greatest challenge so far? My greatest challenge? That's a great question because I I don't think <clears throat> I think up until now, um it, it it there hasn't been any serious challenge other than figuring out my writing style because before this trip I hadn't uh I hadn't done a trip of like longer than two days. Uh I I I'd gone somewhere to camp and then came back home. Like it was a, a two days ride. That was the longest I'd ever done. So figuring out like how long I can ride, how long I like to ride, how long I prefer to ride, what like what kinds of roads I prefer. Um it's been a because it it changes constantly while you're on the road because when you're when I started in Canada I wanted to book it to Alaska because I had an appointment for service on the bike which again uh, that was the first time I realized that I hate having a timeline and a date to to get somewhere Uh, because I all 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 I could do in Canada well I was going to say that's all there is to do in Canada, but all I could do is, you know, highway riding all the way through to to Alaska. And I hated it. It it, it felt like a chore. It felt like like, 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 like work. Like, oh, I got to get up in the morning and do eight to ten hours on the highway to get to a place where there's nothing, like in the middle of Canada. So it felt like a chore. Um, So figuring out um, how I, I, I want this trip to go, uh, was a challenge because you can plan as much as you want for as long as you want. You're, you, you, aside, except if you've done trips like this before, you're not going to know before you go how you're going to feel about riding like this. So I, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say that the, the challenge for me was figuring, figuring myself out. I know it sounds kind of philosophical or whatever, but that's, that's been the, big, the biggest challenge. That's a really good answer, though. That's what a lot of us struggle with when we first get on the road. There's so many yeah. options and so many roads for who you can become and what kind of rider you're going to be that it can be a little daunting. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I didn't have the off-road experience. So every time I was like, okay, there, there's there's multiple options to go there, including like this, this off-road trail that I've never seen. I can't find any information about on the Internet. Like the decision becomes, well, I'm on my own with a 600-pound bike fully loaded. I don't have the experience to get myself out of sticky situations. Do I risk it for the adventure and for the story that it'll it'll eventually give me? Or do I play it safe and do I, you know, take the, the boring highway all the way up there? So it that that what I just said was a constant struggle for me because there's a lot of off road to do in Canada. There's a lot of interesting places. There's a the the Trans Canadian Trail. There's 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 a lot of, you know, in the U.S., there's the BDRs. Um, so that that decision process was a, a, a constant struggle for me in the beginning, and um, I, I, I I realized that maybe maybe like a week into Mexico after that that off-road thing that I was talking about with the off-road instructor dropping the bike like ten or twelve times, that I might not really be you know an off-road guy after all. Like I like the, those those what I call gravel highways, like flat packed gravel highways that go to to a viewpoint or whatever. I like those. Um, but, you know, I realize that I might not be as much of an adventurer as I thought I was. So have you encountered any, any dangers along the way with people or animals or near wrecks? 
Uh, <clears throat> well, a lot of animals, obviously, when you go to Alaska, you see an animal almost every day. Um, uh, the, the first animal I saw was a grizzly on the side of the road. Uh, I've seen, you know, you know, hundreds of, of, of bison on the side of the road. Um, uh, the U.S. and Canada, to me, felt more like a like a road trip than an adventure, because everything was easy, right? Everything in Canada, Canada, and the U.S. is pretty, basically the same country. Uh, but then you get to Mexico, and um, there's not not everything changes. That it, it wouldn't be fair to say that. But there doesn't seem to be any rules for driving here. Um, and as soon as you understand that and you start uh, driving like the people drive here, well, then everything's fine. But the first week where you realize that, you know, the bigger vehicle has the right of way, when you realize that, um, you know, it's not even lane splitting anymore. It's 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 wherever there's space, motorcycles can go, and it's you know, it's accepted. It's ex- actually expected of you to to take up that space. Uh, the first time you drive into a big city in Mexico, it's a it's a stressful experience. But you know, you you I found that I got used to it very very quickly. It was daunting at first, uh, but I got used to it very quickly. And aside from that. Um, the the only close encounters I've had with animals here uh, in Mexico are uh, cows on the road. And other than that, it's just trying to handle the other drivers. That's the only dangerous stuff out of here. I'm glad to hear that. I hope you continue to have a not dangerous travels, not dangerous yeah. adventures for the rest of the time. I hope so. Well, there's only one rule I gave myself for this trip, and that's uh, never to ride at night. And I apply that uh, in Canada and the U.S. Even even if safer in safer countries, I'd rather uh, I'd rather avoid driving at night. And that's especially important in Mexico and every single country south of Mexico. Um, So so when you ask about danger. It's it's it, it's just common sense, right? It's always it's always common sense. Just don't put yourself in dangerous situations, and you're never going to be in danger. But then again, if that's what you're looking for, I don't know what to tell you. Right. That I mean, that's a really good advice not to ride at night. I don't really like to. And, and what are you really getting to see if you are riding at night? You're, at that point, you're just moving along, but you don't know what you're going through. Exactly. You can't see anything, including the road itself, because usually, uh, um, well, not usually. There's, there's a lot of places where the road the road isn't marked, or it isn't marked as well as you would expect from "quote unquote" North American standards or whatever. Um, there's uh, topes in Mexico, the fucking speed bumps. Um, if 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 you want, if one of your question is, um, what is the worst part about about Mexico? It's the speed bumps. And anyone who's been to Mexico will probably agree with me. They're absolutely everywhere for no reason. They're invisible. They're never marked. And they will dent your wheels. It's, uh, it's an absolute plague. Like when you, when, when you're like me and you try to avoid the, um, the, the, the quotas, the, the, the toll roads, um, you go through small village after small village after small village. Uh, so you're, uh, you're, you're going very fast around 100 kilometers an hour, 60 miles an hour. 
And all of a sudden, there's a speed bump, unmarked, same color as the asphalt, and uh, just because there's a village coming up. And in the village, there's about 18 to 25 other speed bumps. <laughs> so uh, it's, 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 it's absolute, for me at least, uh, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm being a princess, but that's, that's the, the absolute worst thing about Mexico. Well, I hear that that's the only thing that you can do to get the drivers to slow down because they're, they're pretty pedal to the metal. Yeah, well, yeah, everyone is, and you're right. It's it's it is an efficient way to to to, to slow everyone down, but it it does exactly that. It it really really slows everyone down. So, what's been your favorite state, country, road, or area so far? Uh, well, definitely Mexico, because like I said, uh, Canada and the U.S. are basically the same country in my head. Uh, same kind of people, same kind of roads. Um, then you get to Mexico, and Mexico has these things called Pueblos Magicos, uh, basically magical towns, uh, magical villages, uh, or whatever, and that's, that's what the, the government did to, to promote, uh, tourism in remote places in Mexico, or places that, uh, tourists don't tend to go to. And these are really, you know, it's kind of, um, Mexico's version of, uh, UNESCO heritage sites. And so, so they're, they're all old little villages, like built on mountainsides, and they either have, you know, uh, cultural significance, uh, natural beauty, or, you know, stuff like that. And, um, those places so far have been my favorite places to visit, uh, because they're, they're, they're different from just the quote-unquote normal villages in Mexico and that they have something special to offer. And some of them are really, really actually magical. Like, there's the, the first time I realized that um, the, 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 these, uh, every single one of these villages was worth visiting, visiting is when I went to Real de Catorce. It's only accessible through a three-kilometer tunnel in a mountain after a 30-kilometer, like, uh, uh, rocky road, it's either that or a road through the mountain that's almost impossible to traverse on a motorcycle. And, uh, you know, it's a one-way tunnel, so it's a one-way each side. You have to wait for people to, to come out. And then you get to the town, and it's built into the mountains on all these steep hills. And it's just, it's, it's just a feeling. You, you get there, and you feel like, you, like, you, like you've stepped into another world. It's really, really, really special. So um, I've only done three countries, uh, so obviously Mexico being different is going to make me biased towards it. Uh, but but the, these all these magical places that I that I I've seen up until now are very uh, are, are making Mexico my favorite country so far for sure. Uh, even though I've seen all the the national parks in the U.S., which were amazing. I've seen the last day, which was amazing. But the, 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 there's a few really, really magical places in Mexico. Well, that means we're just going to have to chat again after you've been to some more countries. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I feel like I'm going to see more places like this in other countries. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, these magical little villages do it for me. I really enjoy getting to find someone early into the road and then after a while on the road and you can see like that way they can see how much they've changed because you don't notice it because you're doing you're changing every day. But when you listen yeah. to yourself on this podcast and when you've been doing this for a year, you're going to see like how much you've grown. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, when 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 I met you, I I had only been you know Canada and the United States, which like like I said earlier, to me to me was a road trip, right? It didn't feel like an adventure. But as soon as soon as you cross into Mexico, your 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 mindset changes, and it even changes the way I uh, because I, I record videos on the bike, obviously, uh, and I take pictures, and I uh, you know I I I, I try to include the people at home in my trip so I do it for my for my friends and family and what was interesting to me in Canada and the United States were the roads like I do this trip to ride my motorcycle so I'm going to film the the nice roads that I find but when you get to Mexico the the rhythm changes because the roads suck and the interesting places to see are the villages the cities the towns the the natural beauty and uh So so now I film a lot less and I take a lot less pictures when I'm on the road and instead I stay longer in these places instead of you know riding every day I take maybe two or three days in a place like I'm in Puebla right now and the reason why I'm able to do this podcast is because I knew in advance I was going to say I was going to stay two or three days in Puebla to explore a little bit and I was right because I got here uh yesterday it was the the day of the dead parade Uh, so I did that last night. Uh, there's, there's about a million churches to, to, to see here. There's a lot to do. So the rhythm, the rhythm already changes and I'm only, you know, three countries in. So you're absolutely right. I think, I think I'm not going to be the same, the same writer. Uh, I don't know if it's going to change me as a person, but it's going to change, uh, everything related to motorcycle for me this trip, for sure. Yeah, I guess we'll find out in a little while if you change as a person. Well, no one's yeah. done it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Have you found that the relationships with your friends and family have changed since you've been on the road? Well, um, I don't think so. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I obviously I told everyone about this trip a long while before I left, so they were all, you know, rooting for me to, to, to you know, not to have any trouble to, to for this to be a success. Um, I don't think it has because I've only been gone for four months. Um, the the most important person it affects right now is my girlfriend because I I while I was planning for this trip I found a girlfriend which wasn't supposed to happen but you know life and um, so I met her during the pandemic and the, the very first thing I told her is that you know I'm going to be gone for a year and a half you you have to be comfortable with that. And from the get-go, she was like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like an amazing trip. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 100% with you and everything. Uh, but we were supposed to see each other a bit more often. She already came to see me in Vancouver, and we rode around Western Canada together, so that was amazing. She was also supposed to come uh, see me in Mexico, but for, uh, you know, life reasons, life happens, uh, she couldn't. So, So it's been, what, maybe three months since we've seen each other, so that's the hard part. But I don't think it it changes anything. It just, you know, it for me, it makes sure that I'm not going to spend my life on the road. For me, this is a very limited experience. I wanted to do it all in a year and a half and then never do it again. Uh, but even that's going to change. Uh, I'm, I'm now thinking of cutting it short uh, um, and starting again next year, or you know, there's there's a lot of possibilities. So, so that that relationship will have an effect on travel, but uh, for friends and family, you know, 
they were prepared. I was prepared. So, it, you know, the, the fact that I'm on the road doesn't change anything. That's good. A lot of people have, tend to have a lot of issues with their old relationships and the new ones develop in a much different way. So it, it can be a little difficult to balance that sometimes. Yeah. The, the, um, I'd say most of the people I met during the first part of this trip actually were bunker bikers because I was, I was, you know, riding every day, getting to where I was going and riding out the next day. I, I, I didn't take a lot of time to stay in places on the first part of the trip. So, the, the, those new relationships that I've been making for the first part of the trip were bunker bikers when I when I stayed at their house and you know shared stories, um, and it's still happening in Mexico. I stayed with one of the few bunker bikers in Mexico in uh, Mexico City uh, for four or five days for the uh, Day of the Dead celebrations, and. Uh, you know that's a new relationship right there a new a new friend right there and he uh gave me contacts further down the road he gave me contacts for colombia he gave me contacts for further south of mexico uh so these are again new relationships i can expect to build but uh yeah most of the relationships i've 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 established on this trip were from bunker biker oh very nice i'm glad it's been helpful and hopefully you going down there and talking about it will bring some new hosts in down there I hope so, and I, I think I think uh, Gary, my host in uh, in, in Mexico City, is doing a, a good job of talking about it as well uh, and spreading the word. Um, he's obviously an amazing host, and uh, I, I I I really hope. The, the thing is, I think Bunga Biker is very popular in the U.S. and Canada because of the the accommodation prices. It's it's at first attractive to people to stay somewhere for free. But as soon I and I, I don't want to talk for anyone else, but for myself, as soon as I got my first bunko biker experience, it stopped about it, it stopped being about money at all. It started I started going out of my way, like changing my itinerary to actually go to bunko bikers. Um, and um, I really hope that 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 people at least try it once or twice to see that it's not it, it it's really not about free accommodations at all. It's about meeting other like-minded people that are going to help you tremendously on your travels. And at least that's what that's what it's been for me. Like I said, the guy that went around the world twice that gave me tons of advice that I've, you know, used all the way down here. Uh, all the contacts I now have for my travels south. Uh, so yeah, for me, for me, it's Bunker Biker has nothing to do with money anymore. It's, it's a, uh, it's about, like I said, the relationships and the, uh, the the stories even that you hear from those people. Yeah. That's awesome. I hope more people give it a try, and that's why I run it, is to give everyone this opportunity to experience that right there. Absolutely. So have you had any psychological or emotional tolls or anything frustrating that's been tiring you out since you've been on the road? The, uh, the, 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 the first, uh, I'd say two or three weeks were really rough. Uh, like I said earlier, because I was figuring out what I wanted from this trip. And, um, the, the crossing Canada to go to Alaska, for me, at least, maybe it's not the same for every people, but for me, it felt like a chore, it felt like work. And it, uh, 
every day I was calling my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, is this worth it? Like, like, is this is this going to get better? Is this, you know? So, so the the, the very first part of the trip was uh, the hardest part for me. Um, the other hard part, which not everyone has to deal with, is the fact that I have a girlfriend waiting for me at home. Um, that's uh, that's uh, something I have to deal with. It's okay because I'm uh, we're both very independent people. But three months uh, three months without seeing the person you love is uh, uh, is pretty hard. Other than that, um, there's there's the the there was the challenge of being in a different place almost every day. Um, and feeling like I was not taking enough time to, to, to take it all in because I'm, I have a set budget, right? And I have a set, not, not a date to come back, uh, to come back home, but, you know, at least if I'm gone for around a year and a half, I can't go on forever. I can't just decide to stay two or three weeks in a place because I like it. I have, I have to move on. And, uh, Sometimes, not anymore. I've, I've come to terms with it, and it, now, now in my head, it's, it's, it's very clear that that's what I have to do. But at first, I was like, "Well, it's, it, is this even the right way to travel? Should I replan the whole thing to do it more slowly?" Uh, but that's that's a struggle that ended pretty early, and I decided that, you know, I, I, I'm doing this trip because I like to ride my motorcycle, and that's what I'm going to do. So that's 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 what I've been doing. I don't. I don't mind just staying one or two days in the place anymore, or even just passing through for a uh, for a hotel for a night. Uh, I don't I don't mind that anymore. But that that was a initially a struggle for me. Yeah, I remember that struggle. I I had the same one, and it is hard. Luckily, I got the chance to slow down because my I have more time than money. So yeah. So are you planning to do anything with your experiences of the traveling once you stopped, like make a YouTube series or write a book? Well, I'm, I'm already kind of doing it, but um, I'm uh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I have a GoPro on my helmet. I have a 360 camera, so I, I film videos and put them on YouTube. But I have absolutely no intention of <clears throat> turning this into uh, a money generating thing. I'm uh, right now. I'm doing it for my friends and family to to, to take them on this trip with me to show them what I'm ex- experiencing from my point of view. Um, but I, I I do not and I never want this to become work. Like I I'm I'm doing this trip to enjoy the trip. And um the reason why I put that GoPro on my on my helmet is that I I can film effortlessly and not have to think about it. It just films my point of view. It films what I see. And I have a microphone attached to it that I can comment on how I'm feeling on on what I'm seeing. Um but yeah, uh, I, I I didn't know how to edit videos when I started this trip. Uh, I had to learn on the road, which was a, a, a process, still is a process. And um, I'm, I'm I'm like I said earlier, the rhythm changed when I got to Mexico, so I'm finding it a bit hard to make interesting videos when I'm not filming that much on the road anymore. I don't like being the touristy guy that has a camera in his in his hands all the time and all the time and, and, and films everything he sees. So um, that's also been uh, a struggle to find a balance between okay, do I want to you know 
dedicate so much time to editing beautiful videos since it's only for friends and family? Or do I want to spend more effort on it to, to reach a wider audience? And to, to very, very quickly, the decision was to not dedicate too much time to that. I, I don't want this to become work. I don't want this to to be the only thing I do. Like uh, like like uh, people that are on the road and are doing it successfully, like Itchy Boots or or Charlie Sinawan or you know that that do it for a living. I really don't want it to become that for me. So there will there are already. Uh, uh, like 14 or 15 videos that I put up on YouTube. Um, but I don't feel the pressure to do one every week or to, to you know, produce content. I just do it at my own pace. That's good. I mean, choosing to have the experience over recording the experience, I think, is the long-lasting memory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's the it's it's the the easiest way. Like I said, the, the the camera on my helmet, I just turn it on, and you know I don't have to think about it, and that's that's what makes it enjoyable. As soon as I have to think, oh, oh I have to to take pictures of that, or or I I need to take a video of that, then for me for me it it it, it stops making it enjoyable. So yeah, I know that feeling. I've had the burnout from oh my god, I got to make content. You know what? Yeah, I'm just here to live my life. Absolutely, and that's why I said earlier when the, when the rhythm in Mexico changed, uh, I, I think that the amount of videos is going to drop drastically because, like I said, I, the, the interesting places are the places and not the roads. Um, but at first, I was like, "Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta, you know, find a way." Like you said, to make content. Uh, very, very quickly, I, I, I just said, "Nah, nah, I'm just gonna enjoy it." Like. Yesterday was the, the like I said the parade for the Day of the Dead. I could have filmed a thousand things. There were uh, a thousand people everywhere with costumes and you know it, it's so much interesting stuff that I could have filmed or taken pictures of. My cell phone stayed in my pocket and I didn't grab like I I took maybe one video to show my girlfriend and that's it. I just enjoyed the atmosphere, enjoyed the the party, the excitement that was there, and uh, I didn't you know. I didn't think about, like you said, creating content just because I was there. Yeah. So if you could go back to when you were planning this, would you do anything differently? Would I do anything differently? Well, the the, the first part, I would have, I wouldn't have made an appointment in Alaska to go through Canada so quickly. I would have tried to enjoy my own country maybe a little bit more. Uh, made time for that. Um. If I had to start again, uh, that's a good question. I haven't, I haven't, I hadn't thought about that. It's, uh, I, w- I, I wouldn't take that big, gigantic, uh, monster of a bike. Uh, I would go for something much smaller, uh, easier to handle. Because if I bought the bike without trying it, the, 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 the 1250, and I bought the adventure model and it's too tall for me and it's a pain in the ass to move around. Uh, when it, when you when you're you're not riding it, and uh, in Canada and the United States, that's never a problem. But when you get to places where things aren't thought of for vehicles, like when I when I got to Real de Catorce, the, the the magical village I was talking about earlier, everything is on hills. It's not thought of for vehicles. Like people didn't have vehicles when those towns were built. And having a big, huge, gigantic, hard to handle bike in those, in those towns would make it a pain in the ass. So I would, I would go from, for something smaller, for sure. Absolutely. 
You're talking about like a 250 small, like 600 small? Uh, not not quite that small because I like to go fast on the highway. Um, so so you know maybe uh, uh, a Tenere 700. It sounds like the ideal bike, but then again, when you look at the weight, it's 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 not that much lighter. Uh, but you know, every single company is trying to come up with a with a, a intermediate uh, adventure bike now uh, instead of making big ones. So I think we're going to have much more choice when it comes to that. Um, to be honest, I don't know what I, w- I would go for. It is tempting to go for something much smaller, like a 300 or a 400. But uh, but there's if, if you're going to do Canada and the United States, there's so much highway to be done that you have to get something more comfortable. Otherwise, you're not you you're just not going to enjoy it. Hey man, I, I do it on a 350. I find a lot of fun. Yeah. You just got to have the time. Like I said, I, I have the time over the money. So me taking a week to get somewhere isn't a big deal for me. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. So, so w- with my style of traveling, I, I I really can't go for the one of those smaller two fifties or three hundreds. But I uh, I think if you have the time, they are absolutely ideal. There there there's no, if if you can take your time, there's nothing that beats a small bike. No, oh, I agree. I wish more people would realize that they're still fun, and I understand they don't work for everyone, but you know they do have their uses. They, they take a oh, lot. Oh yeah. Of time. Not, Oh yeah, they're 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 a lot more fun. You you can take them to places where you can t- you can't take other bikes. Even even though there's people that are going to say, "Oh, I can take my 1250 anywhere." Yeah, get stuck in the mud with it and tell me you can take it anywhere. Well, you can take it anywhere. It doesn't mean you can get it out from anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, do you have any advice for anyone else who is planning to do something like what you're doing? Um. Don't plan too much because the, the, the plan changes every day. If, if, if you try to, you know, if you're very, very, very limited on time and you have a, a very precise amount of days to do that, uh, then, then planning a lot in advance may work for you. But there are things that are going to happen to you on the road. And I'm not even talking about problems. Maybe you're going to, get to some place and decide, oh, I want to explore this. So that just took a day or two off of your, your precise planning that you were trying to do. So my advice would be to, 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 to not to plan too far in advance. Uh, if you want to plan like a week in advance, that's fine, but there's a lot of stuff that can happen in a week on the road, especially um, – um, it, it, it's, that advice is, is becoming especially important now that I'm in Mexico because there's a lot of stuff that can happen in Mexico, uh, which did. I got my first flat in Mexico. I was supposed to, be, to go riding in the mountains for four or five days. On the first day, I got a flat. Well, shit, now I got to go to Mexico City to get a new tire because you can't get, get it any, anywhere else. Um, so things happen. So don't plan too far in advance. That would be my advice. Nice. So what do you see yourself doing once you get off the road? Are you going to get a job, buy a house, have a family? or? Oh, I have absolutely no clue what I'm going to do when I get back. Um, I, 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 I left a job that I didn't really enjoy, so I don't feel like going back to it. Um, I have a lot of options. Uh, because I don't, you know, I'm not responsible for a mortgage. I'm not, you know, all my debts paid for, so I don't have 
any urgency to, to, to try and figure it out right now. Uh, to be honest, I'll think about it when I'm on the flight home. I, I, I have absolutely no clue what I'm going to do. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's, that's a long way off, too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, like I keep saying, it's always possible that I, I, I just get tired and go home. Like I don't have a uh, like an like an ultimate goal. Like I need to get to Ushuaia. It's not it's not like a need. I'm just going south because I want to explore these countries. And it's always possible that at one point I decide, okay, I've had enough. My ass hurts. I'm going back home. Right. Um, so I, I if 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 I have no plan like this, uh, it, it makes it easy to to to, to go back home if you're tired. Uh, and I'm not excluding that possibility. I, I, I hope it won't happen. Uh, but then, you know, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's no, there's, that's why there's no plan. And that's why I don't plan too far in advance because I don't know in advance what I'm going to want, uh, to see or do. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you understand the limitations because I've met a lot of new people in the row that are so set on this certain thing that they will step on their own happiness and fun to get to it. And I'm like, why do it if you don't like what you're doing? Maybe it's exactly. not for you, and you could just go find something else that is for you. Yep. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree with that. And I was uh, I was watching a YouTuber, I'm, I'm sure you know him, uh, C90 Adventures. He was going around the world on a on, on, on small Honda C90, a scooter. And um, he, like me, was planning to get to Ushuaia. Uh, and he, he was about like two weeks away from doing it. He's like, well, I'm not having fun anymore. I'm trying to find things to entertain myself when I'm on the road because I, I'm not enjoying it anymore. So I'm going back home. And that's what he did. And, uh, that's, that's, and I, I, I saw that kind of early in the trip. And that's what made me realize that, you know, um, I quit my job and I, I saved up all this money and I bought this bike and all this gear and blah, blah, blah. So I have to do it. Well, no, that's not true. If, 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 if you realize right in the middle of it that you're, you're not happy anymore that, or, or that, or what you're doing is not making you happy anymore, what's the point of going on? You, you just go back home. Maybe you'll find that in a year or two, you, you, you feel like you, you want to, start again or you want to start from a different country and then you ship your bike again and you start over again. That might happen or that might not. You know, it, you, it, might, it might be enough for you, these, uh, these travels that you've done. So, yeah, if it, if it doesn't make me happy anymore, if it if, if I don't, you know, if, if it starts feeling like a chore every day to, to get to where I'm going, I'm, I'm cutting it short. I'm doing this because I, I want to I wanna have fun. If it's, if it's not fun anymore... And I'm not talking just about the problems you meet along the way. Obviously, you're gonna, you know, get some meet some challenges. That's that's that that comes with traveling. But if 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 if, if traveling doesn't make you happy anymore, just go home. Go do something different at least. Yeah. Make a new home. Yeah, exactly. New community. Absolutely, absolutely. So, do you have any cool stories or anything that you'd like to share? Did you think people would find entertaining? Oh wow. Well, four months on the road will 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 give you tons of stories, but um, um, it, it's not it's not really a story. Uh, it's it's maybe another piece of advice. Um, you might find yourself somewhere that you think 
freaking sucks and you want to get out of there as as quickly as possible. And that was that was the case for me in Alaska. When I first, you know, started getting started riding on the uh, the Alaska Highway that takes you all the way to Alaska, the only thing I could think of was, wow, this is boring as hell. There's nothing here. It's all emptiness and and pine trees and that's all there is. And I, I I had that feeling all the way uh, up until I crossed back into British Columbia in Canada. And then, as soon as you get to a, a major city and you smell your first McDonald's, uh, that's exactly what happened to me. I went by a McDonald's and I, I smelled the fries and everything. I was like, oh shit, I miss Alaska. Like it 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 fucking sucked when I when I was there. And I now I feel like I miss it. I feel the I, I miss the, the the wilderness, the emptiness. That was that was that was amazing. So, uh, just a piece of advice. You might feel like where it it, it, it kind of sucks when you're somewhere, or or the something is boring, or something doesn't feel fun. Just push it a little bit, uh, and and you're in hindsight, you're you you you'll see that uh, it had something that you didn't know it had. And uh, that's what it did for me. In hindsight, Alaska was a was a pretty magical place, even though the the writing was boring. Um, the the place itself was pretty magical. So uh, if you ever feel like uh, the road is boring, just just give it a few days, maybe a few weeks, and uh, you'll see. You'll see. At, at every single place in the world has something to to to, to give, even if you're in the middle of the farm fields in Idaho and you feel like this is unending like boredom and then you realize oh that was that was kind of beautiful those 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 places that I went through and you 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 might look look back at them with fondness fondness that you didn't expect um and other than that you know the 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 major story for me is that off road thing that I you know the, these off road guys that I met in in Baja um after you know the, that that off road thing wasn't the, the last thing that day we rode to where we were expecting to stay which was like five five hours away and there was no hotel available okay let's ride on to the next city well there's no hotel there so now it's dark we're in mexico and we need to find a place to stay there's for some reason there, we don't know still to this day if there was an event or whatever uh, but there was no hotel available anywhere. Uh, we got to a small town called Mulehe in the dark. It was like 9 p.m. We were defeated. We, you know, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know if we would find a, even find a place to stay that night. Uh, we'd been on the road for 10, 11 hours, including that off-road thing in 40 degree weather, 40 Celsius. That's like 105 degree weather. Uh, we're all exhausted and one of the guys just Hey, I'm just gonna walk over to that hotel over there, see if they have a room. And they had one room with three beds in it, and that's where we stayed. Um, and then during the night there was a tropical storm or whatever, the ceiling was leaking, there was no power, blah blah blah. We thought we were gonna die. Mm-hmm. Uh and we and we learned that the second city that we tried to stop in and stay in they not only had a tropical storm but a but an earthquake as well so the entire town was under the rubble um uh, and we missed 
that earthquake by about an hour. And I don't know if there's a lesson to, to, to pull from that. I don't know if there's anything to, I should learn from that, but that was a, that was the only, the only time I felt like I, like I was in a, in a dangerous place. But after that, I just, I just, you know, we just went to, to La Paz and Cabo and partied. So it, it felt like nothing ever happened. Sounds like a blessing in disguise. You didn't know it at the time, but hindsight being, you're glad you're not, you weren't there when that happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it was a beautiful town, like a like a seaside uh, uh, little you know port town. It was beautiful, uh, Santa Rosalia, I think, or Rosalita. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, if, if if we if we had found a hotel there, I we we could have been hurt because there there's the the buildings went down. The the it was it was it was hell. It was it was absolute carnage. So um, yeah. I don't know if there's a lesson to pull from it, but it's a, it's it's definitely an interesting story. Oh, I agree. I, I've I've had a couple of those myself that something weird and random pushed me onto another place, and if I had stayed at that previous place, it would have been very bad. Yeah, yeah. Some, some sometimes that happens, and you know, it feels you know I'm not a religious man, but it feels like divine intervention. But yeah, it's uh, I don't I don't know what lesson to pull out of that. <laughs> Well, maybe the universe is looking out for you, putting you at the better place at the better time. I I I hope it is. For 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 the rest of this trip, I hope that I hope the universe keeps looking out for me. Yeah. I agree too. It's been really great chatting with you, Patrick. Well, no, thank you very much, and uh, just, I just want to you know take that opportunity to thank you for uh, for everything you're doing with uh, with Bunker Biker. Um, like I said, it. Uh, most of my stays with bunker bikers have been, you know, some of the best experiences I've had on this trip. Uh, and they, uh, they actually in Canada, they make the, they made the trip worth it. So, uh, I guess that, uh, we, we, we have you to thank for that. And I'm happy to do it. Make sure and encourage people to sign up as Patreons though, because that's what supports me continuing. Absolutely. And I, uh, I will keep encouraging people to become hosts as well, just to make sure we have, uh, we have bunker bikers all over the world. Yeah, I'm heading down to Mexico myself, and I plan to hit up a bunch of their motorcycle MCs, clubs, and stuff, and see if I can get the word out some more. Are you working on your Spanish? No, I'm hoping they speak English. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me suggest that you download Google Translate on your phone, then. <laughs> That's going to be yes. a very useful tool for you. Yeah, I use that. I went through 14 countries in Eastern Europe, and they all speak a different language. So I was doing that every time across the border. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been my most valuable tool, uh, Google Translate. It really it, it it if if you have internet and Google Translate, you can have a, a, like an actual conversation with Google Translate, which works really well. And uh, it's uh, it's saved my ass a couple times. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I like the Google Translate Lens feature. I've ordered some oh, yeah. stuff off of a menu that was definitely not what they said it was. <laughs> yeah. And you know, even even if you use it, it might not be uh, accurate. But yeah, it could uh, it can save you in a in a pickle. It, it it saved my ass a couple times that that app as well. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end the call? Uh, no. Uh, aside from you know, thank you for 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 taking the time to speak to people about their experience and uh thank you thank you for everything you do for bunker biker that's all uh, that's all i have to say
thank you for taking the time. And thank you. And I'm happy to help people have the adventure. All right. I'll talk to you later, Z. Have a good one. Enjoy your adventure today. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>